0: Turn with me to James chapter 1. I want to turn your attention to verse 6 through verse 8 for our time together this morning. James chapter 1 and verse 6. James, we know, writing to scattered churches uh, very early on in the New Testament history. Very practical book. And, Some things it says here in this block of verses I'd like to consider this morning. James chapter 1, and verse 6. The Bible says, But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Let me read that again in case you didn't hear. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day for the many blessings you've given us. Again, I ask for your blessing on this time of preaching. Help us to have open hearts, open ears. Speak to us by your Holy Spirit and through your word. Do the work in us that only you can do, and I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Anybody ever have trouble making up your mind? Maybe you know somebody who does. There are some people, if they have two choices, will spend an indefinite amount of time between those two choices, going back and forth, and they just can't seem to decide. I find sometimes I can maybe be a little bit of both. Most of the time, I know what I want, and there's no problem to make the decision or take the action to get the goal done, whatever it may be. But every once in a while, it can be hard to choose. Well, what if I choose this and it doesn't work out? Or what if this isn't what I think it is? And maybe you can kind of find yourself bouncing back and forth. Or what if this or what if that? And in the end, nothing gets done, right? You're just stuck there deciding or trying to choose between two. Whether it's choosing a career or what clothes to wear or choosing a health care plan or where to eat, which can take hours, can't it? (laughs) In the end... If you don't make up your mind, it can set you back, right? It can have a negative effect. Well, beloved, the same goes for your spiritual life. Only on a much bigger scale, a much more important scale, which is what we'll talk about this morning. Before we move on to the next block of verses in James, I wanted to revisit a thought here in our text for this morning. I mean, we spent spent two weeks talking about trials and how to handle them and how our perspective can be through trials, even to the point of of having a sense of joy, knowing what God can do. We saw that we ought to pray for wisdom and look to learn patience, but something has stuck in my mind from this verse. and There's one verse here that gets to the heart of so many issues that we face. If you find yourself struggling spiritually, there's a reason. If you find yourself feeling separated from God or lacking faith, or your spiritual life is not vibrant and alive and, and just uh, um, full of joy. This is usually to blame, and it's found in verse 8, the double mind. The double mind. So I want to talk about that this morning. The title of the message is, Don't Be Double-Minded. And it's a warning that runs through Scripture. So we'll talk about that. We're jumping in at verse 6. Look at there, if you will. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. Now, we're right in the middle of a, a thought that James is laying out. And he's saying, if anybody lacks wisdom, ask in faith and God will give it, right? If any lacks wisdom, you can see that in verse 5, let him ask of God to give it to all men liberally, and it shall be given. But the the, uh, qualification is you must ask in faith, not wavering. We pointed out last week that though the context is trials of what James is writing there, this applies to any time in your life. You pray, ask in faith. Pray as if God is God and He can answer prayer. Not... Maybe if this happens, we'll see, or I'm just going to kind of throw it up there to make myself feel better. No, you're talking to the creator of all things. The one who holds all things in his hand, by whom all things consist. God can do anything. Pray that way. Seek his will and ask boldly for that. I mean, do not be afraid to ask big. I, I, don't know, wonder, I wonder why sometimes we get that in our heads, like, oh, God will never do that. What you're really saying is God can't do that. God can do anything. He can heal anyone. He can move mountains. He can do anything according to His will. He is God. So we ought to pray for that. Pray beyond what you could ever ask or think, because that's how God works, right? How else do you think we have this? Because people prayed big, and He moved, didn't He? Well, He can do the same for you. The problem is we waver. Our faith wavers. That's what I want to talk about first is a disconnected faith, a disconnected faith. Look in verse six. Let him ask in faith, nothing wavering for he that wavers is like a wave of the sea uh, driven with the wind and tossed. That evidently is a problem And we know in our own lives, a lack of faith is a problem. So what is it that causes our faith to waver? And I want, I want to explain something here, too. This is not like wavering as in I'm having a moment of weakness, because we all do the, have those, right? We'll have moments where our faith is weak. We all have those uh, I believe, help my unbelief moments, the moments we might stumble and say, Lord, I, I really need your help. Um, those moments were reminded of the words in, of Jesus in Mark chapter 5 when he says, be not afraid, only believe, or keep on believing. That's different. We all have those times in our lives where we need our faith strengthened. This is not what James is talking about. That's not what this word waver means. This means to separate totally. To withdraw and hesitate as if by instinct. To stagger at something. Like when when one of those big green Japanese beetles flies in your face and what do you you do? You instinctively stagger back or you separate or you, you try to get away from it, right? That's the idea. Something comes up and we're just out. I can't handle this. I'm out. This is too much. I'm going away. And our faith just disconnects. What causes our faith to disconnect like that? Because I don't want that kind of faith, right? I don't want when something comes up for my faith to waver so much it just falls down. Sometimes we can be like that, right? The first sign of hardship or the first sign of contention or something that may come up in our life and it's like we shut off and we just walk away from the things we ta- learn about and the things we talk about every Sunday. We can do that in situations. But I also know people that don't blink in the face of a trial. They don't flinch because their faith is solid because their mind is already made up. James paints a picture here to illustrate as well. uh, In the last part of verse 6, he says, He that wavers or he that disconnects like this is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. Anybody ever been on the ocean during a storm? Some of you have. I haven't. It would be too scary for me. That's a lot of water out there. I've been on a lake in a boat, a rather small boat, many times during a storm where the wind is blowing and the waves the it's not an ocean, I know that. It's a lake. But the waves have white caps and they're enough to come over the bow of the boat. And there's there's no pattern when that happens. There's not like a steady pattern of waves. No, it's like, where are you going, wave? I'm going here, I'm going there. And they're crashing into each other and it's just a mess, right? Maybe you feel like that sometimes. Maybe your faith feels like that. It's just going everywhere and it's crashing in and you don't necessarily know where your life is headed. In fact, I really don't know what's going on right now, but I feel like I'm in a whirlwind. We can feel like that sometimes, right? Just like a wave in the storm and everything's going crazy. There doesn't seem to be any direction or any rhyme or any reason. Well, James says that's a result of a faith that wavers. Because if you think about it, beloved, even though things are not always ideal, we can be sure of some things, can't we? I can be sure of where I'm headed. My home is in eternal heaven. I can be sure of what I've come through by the Lord's help, where He has brought me to and to this day. And so then I can be sure of where I am right here and right now, and that is right in the middle of the will of God for my life even though it might seem like I'm in the middle of the storm, God is there with me if my faith in Him is strong. He is there with us to guide us, to protect us. A wavering faith doesn't see that. A wavering faith looks at the waves rather than the Savior who stands on the waves. You remember that? When... Jesus calls to Peter and he says, Come walk out on the water during the middle of a storm. And Peter starts out fine, but then he looks at the wind and the waves. He takes his eyes off Jesus and what happens? He immediately begins to sink. A wavering faith leads us there. That whole picture that uh, that James paints here kind of brings something else to mind and that's a ship on a sea in the middle of a storm. One of those that's pushed around by the wind and kind of out of control. And You've seen those uh, things on TV, right? Um, what's the fishing show? Deadliest Catch. Deadliest Catch. See? Whew, there we go. <laughs> Mike's tracking with me. Anybody ever watch Deadliest Catch and you see him in a storm and the, the storms are so bad like the, the bow of the ship goes down and it comes up and it catches a bunch of water and it's washing over the deck and things are going everywhere. You get the picture. Sometimes life can be like that, right? Or like Mark chapter 4. Remember when Jesus calmed the sea and the, the disciples were on the fishing boat in the Sea of Galilee and this wind and this storm comes up and they're being tossed around and they're trying to get to shore but they're getting nowhere and the waves are crashing in and filling up the boat and what do they go to him and say? Master, we perish. We're dying here. Help us out. But who was in the boat? God was in the boat. They had God in the boat and they were scared. And before you get down too hard on them, without a strong faith, we do the same thing. We have the presence of God through the Holy Spirit with us and we do the same thing. As if we're alone as if we're facing the trials in our life with no stability, with no direction, and we feel like a wave tossed around in the sea, that's because our faith is wavering or there's a disconnect in our faith. And when that happens, it puts us in danger of being tossed around, beaten on every side by the world, carried around, and it seems like we have no control. That's because our faith is weak. And that will lead to wrong decisions, and we could be drawn into the world and away from God, away from the rock beneath our feet. So this isn't something we should just read in passing. We should stop and think, does my faith waver like this? And if you find yourself feeling disconnected or or feeling like you're drifting from God, like you're a wave on the sea, then we need to listen up. There's one more thing to consider here, too. The first is a disconnected faith. The second is dishonored prayers. Look at verse 7. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. See, a disconnect in our faith takes us away from God, and it affects our relationship with Him. And it can happen to the point, and so much so, that prayers aren't answered. Say what? Well, I thought God was always supposed to answer my prayers. I thought I asked and He answered. Isn't that the way it's supposed to work, right? I think something was made mention of that in class. Most of the mainstream teachers out there will teach you if you name it and claim it in faith, it's yours. So you name and claim that million dollars or that lottery ticket and God just has to give it to you. Beloved, that ain't the case. Don't forget, He's God, we're not, we're dirt. Sinful dirt at that. And we don't like to, to talk about prayers not being answered, but that is exactly what G- James is saying, isn't he? Somebody like that with a faith that is disconnected, somebody who's not truly trusting God, somebody who's got their eyes on other things, they should not expect to receive anything from God when they ask. Now listen. Listen. Let me just say, I believe the Lord always hears a prayer of repentance. Somebody repents of their sins. I don't care if it's the world's worst sinner. I don't care if it's the best Christian who have fallen away and got into sin. The Lord hears a prayer of repentance. Somebody truly comes to Him with a repentant heart. He's there to forgive, right? 1 John chapter 2, and verse 9, I believe it is. I hope I'm not misquoting, but that's what's coming to mind. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, right? That's what the Bible says. So the Lord hears a prayer of repentance. And as far as world, uh, the world's prayers or the prayers of unbelievers, I'm going to leave that up to Him. He's God. But as a general rule, the Scripture says He doesn't listen to the prayers of a wicked man or a woman. But I do know that Scripture is pretty clear about the prayers of a believer, the prayers of His people. We have God's ear just as sure as a child does their father. Or just as sure as a spouse does the other spouse, right? The Lord listens when we pray. The Lord's heart is moved with our prayers. He bends Himself to listen and to answer as His will sees fit. But when something gets in the way of our relationship, namely sin or our faith wavers, then it's a different story, right? If my child disobeys me, if my child does not trust my leading and trust my parent, uh, the, the role of a parent that I have in their lives, then I'm not so quick to give them what they want, right? Beloved, if we drift away from God because our faith is failing, our faith is focused other places, it can affect our prayers. First Peter, uh, the book of First Peter says our prayers can be hindered. In fact, our prayers can be hindered if there's a problem in our marriage. David says this in Psalm 66, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Hebrews chapter 11 says this, But without faith it is impossible to please Him, for he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. You see, God honors and rewards faith in Him. But if our faith disappears, there's a problem. It gets between us and the Lord and it can cause Him not to answer and that's pretty scary to me. I hope you get the seriousness of this. If we're not living every day by faith, we are becoming separated from God. This isn't a Sunday morning thing. You come and you sit through and you're good for the rest of the week with God. No. In fact we can come here and sit and be wrong with God and put on a show and leave here no closer to Him and go and live a life with a wavering faith, wonder why our prayers aren't answered, wonder why our spiritual life seems dead where there's a problem and it's right here within each one of us. And I know James is talking within the context of trials, but it's usually trials that bring out the truth. You can fake it in good times. You can't fake it till you make it when everything's falling down around you. And I am tired of fake Christians. They want to throw out the phrases. They want to throw out the, the catch phrases or wear the T-shirts or put the stickers on their car. Look, look, that's fine. But that kind of Christianity, if it's propagated, is empty and hollow. Our faith ought to be so strong that we can find joy in trials. That we can stand on the ways because we're focused on Jesus Christ rather than what's going on around us. And I've seen so many people shaken up because of gas prices or political climate or who's governor or who's president that that shakes their faith to the very core. Beloved, that is all nothing in the end. But yet they have based their life off that, not to mention personal trials that we may go through or or things that we may face in this life. Listen. This is serious. If our faith is disconnected, there's a problem. If our prayers are not being honored by God, there's a problem and we need to get to the bottom of it. What is the cause of that? What leads down to that path? I believe the answer is in verse 8. And it's something each and every one of us can deal with. It's something that's running rampant. And it's something if we find in our own heart and our own mind, we need to repent of. That is the double mind. Look at verse 8 of chapter 1 of James. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Double-minded, that's what it says in English. Maybe your translations might say a couple different things, but it gives gives the idea of like somebody who's distracted or something like that. No, that's not what the word is in Greek. You know what the word in Greek means? Two-souled, S-O-U-L-E-D. Double-souled. Somebody who's living with two souls. Now, listen, when the scripture uses that word soul, it's suke in the Greek, not pneuma. Pneuma is the word for spirit. That's what's born again, that's what gives our body this life. Suke in the Greek talks about our soul. It's talking about our mind, our heart, the essence of your life. What you do, what you say, what you point your life toward, what consumes your life, that's your soul and i believe that's different than your spirit. The Bible's pretty clear. You can look at 1 Thessalonians 5:23. I pray the Lord will sanctify your whole body, soul and spirit. Or Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. The word of God is a living and it, it pierces to the dividing asunder even of the soul and spirit. Scripture calls out those are two different things. Because we are three-part man made in the image of God, right? Body, soul, spirit, just as there is God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. But this, this idea of soul is, is, is the, the life that we live, what people see, what they hear, and, and how we live our life out. He says, this is somebody who has two of those. Two lives. Two minds. Two souls. That ain't going to work. But believe me, we try to do that sometimes, don't we? we got the church life and the me life and when I go to church I got to talk this way don't cuss don't do this don't talk about that movie I might have saw or what I might be doing this day or that day no we got to put on the face and then when we leave church then it's hopefully not but it could be the real me then I let it down and I'm just who I am two souls that ain't going to work And you can try, and you can try to walk the line or have one foot on this side, one foot on the other, one side of living for God and doing what He wants to do, and then one foot just doing whatever you want to do. you find yourself forever bouncing between the two, trying to stand on one leg now and one leg at the other time and trying to decide which one to follow. And you'll find you're going to be kind of tossed around like a wave on the sea. Serving God at times, serving yourself at others, serving two masters. Given to both. That doesn't work. Every time this subject comes on, I'm reminded of the Beatles song, um, Eleanor Rigby. There's a line in there. She puts on a face, she keeps in a jar by the door. You do that to come to church, got to put my face on, got to look good, got to talk right, got to seem holy, and as soon as you get in the car, man, that comes off, and the real you comes out. Parents, your kids don't need to see that. They don't need to see you shaking hands and then spitting venom five minutes later. They don't need to see you praying and singing and then watching filth on the TV. They don't need to see a Bible in your hand and then closed and put up on the shelf and searching for it when Sunday comes. Where did I put my Bible? You should know where your Bible's at. It should be open on your desk or on your dresser or when you were reading it to them. Not sharing Facebook or Instagram posts with them. We wonder why the next generation's falling away. It's because the current generation is living double lives. And it doesn't work. Do they see you cherish the Word of God? Cherish to sing praises? Cherish to come meet with people? Or do you cherish your money and your stuff and what you can get next? Are you crushed when you can't come to church? Are you crushed when you can't meet with God's people, or are you crushed when you lose stock or a possession or a job or favor with somebody else? You cannot live with two souls. It doesn't work. So how do we avoid that? Because that's not where I want to be. I don't want to be a double-minded pastor, a double-minded father, a double-minded husband. I don't want to be a double-minded servant of God. So let's look for the time that we got left and see what the Scripture says about this. Now, let me just say this. In one sense, in one sense, we are already double-minded, if you could call it that. See, when we got saved, something happened, right? Right? It wasn't just some words we said, we didn't sign a card. No, something happened within us. We were born again spiritually, right? I was spiritually dead. I trusted in Christ. Now I'm alive eternally because of Him. There's a new creation inside this failing flesh. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have become new. Old things are passed away, right? There's something deep inside that happened, I'm a new person. Which means, by the way, if you don't know Christ, you're walking dead. Your eternity is hell. You are under the wrath of God. You need to be born again. You need to be forgiven of your sins. You need for Jesus to save you. You don't have two natures. You only have one nature, a dead one, a sinful one, a worldly one, one that is anti-God, one that is perishing, one that separates you from God and His blessings and care. And John chapter 3 says, If you do not believe in Jesus as Savior, the wrath of God abides on you. That's pretty scary. God is angry with your sin. God will judge your sin if you do not know Him as Savior, that judgment is an eternity in hell forever and ever and ever. That's your nature if you do not know Jesus as Savior. Which is why you need to be saved. That's why Jesus came and died for you. He died for me to save me from that. To give me new life, to, to take away all my sin, to forgive me of it, and to give me a home in heaven with Him. All He asks is that you trust Him. Believe that he came and he died for you, and you can be born again. You could be made brand new on the inside. That's what happened, right? at salvation. We trusted him. I've, I went from spiritually being dead to now being spiritually alive with a home in heaven forever. I have now a new nature within me. There's a new person within me, a new nature that's supposed to direct my life and my choices and my thoughts. We ought to be, as servants of God, living in light of what Jesus did for us. If He saved me, then I want to serve Him. If He saved me, then I want to honor Him with my marriage, I want to honor Him with my life, with my children, with my finances, everything. Why? Because He died for me. That's the great motivator, isn't it? If not, get back on your knees and ask the Lord to restore the joy of your salvation. If you come here because you're pulling up your bootstraps and this is something you've got to do, hit the altar, We're here because Jesus saved us. We're here because I was a dead sinner deserving only the wrath of God and an eternity in hell, but He loved me enough to save me. So you know what? I'm going to give the rest of my life to Him in praise. You saved me. You are an awesome God. You're almighty. You call me to serve you and be part of your church. Wow, Lord, thank you. That's what should motivate us, right? And that old nature, what did we do with that? We put it to death in baptism, right? That's what baptism is about. I'm I'm putting that old life away. I'm walking a new life now, right? But that old nature has a tendency to pop back up sometimes, doesn't it? And it can be a fight, can't it? Don't nobody sit here and say, nah, it's fine. (laughs) You're lying. (laughs) It's a fight, it's a battle. At times, Do you ever want to say something and you have a fight in your head? Don't say it. I want to say it. Don't say it. Some of you know my struggle. Sometimes the spirit is strong and I don't say what I want to say. Sometimes the spirit is weak and blah. Amen. And It's gone. It's out there. It's done said. And there's problems. You know the battle. That old nature has a tendency to pop back up. And the scripture says we got to fight it. A battle of the new nature within us. Our new spirit. The new man. With this old nasty flesh. The one that just wants to sin. We have now within us that battle. There's two natures if you will kind of fighting within us right let's look at a couple of scriptures go to the book of romans we go here a lot when we talk about this and for right reason i would i would say paul's a holy guy right all of us would he wrote a lot of the new testament we see the apostle paul said that guy's a pretty holy guy but look Romans chapter 7 should give you comfort. shouldn't excuse anything, but it should give you comfort that Paul fought this battle too. And see if you can't relate with what he says here. Romans chapter 7, oh, let's pick it up in verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, the things that I find myself doing, I allow not For what I would, what I want to do, I don't do. But what I hate, I do. This is is confusing sometimes with the language, but it's really pretty simple. You know what Paul's saying? There's things I don't want to do and I find myself doing them. I shouldn't say those things. I don't want to say those things, but they pop out of my mouth. I shouldn't act that way. I shouldn't have that kind of reaction. But yet, I find myself having that kind of reaction. And the, the way I want to speak, the way I want to act, the way I want to utter God... Quite often, I don't do those things. Anybody find themselves in the same place? Yeah, we do, don't we? Well, so does Paul. Verse 17, Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. He says it's that fleshly nature that's in me. That's the battle that we fight, and that's sometimes what comes out in our actions or in our words. Verse 18, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, Dwelleth no good thing, for to will is present with me. The want to, to uh, (coughs) praise God, is there. And I would say probably, I hope, all of us have that, right? We have a desire in our heart to be honoring to God with what we say and what we do. And that's what Paul is saying. The will is present with me. But how to perform that which is good, I find not. (laughs) Sometimes it's really hard to do the right thing. It's not necessarily all that hard. We make it hard. Can I say that? I think that's fair, isn't it? Like, we know what we should do. The problem, whether we do it or not, is in here or in here. This is what Paul says. I'm finding this battle within me. For the good that I would, the good that I want to do, verse 19, I don't do. But the evil which I don't want to do, that I do. Again, I'm with you, Brother Paul. I find, I find myself there. Now, if I do that which I do not want to do, it is no more that I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find a law then. When I would do good, evil is present with me. You ever wake up and say, I'm going to do the best I can today. I'm going to pray. I'm going to read. And then you get a phone call before you even make it to your Bible. Or five minutes after you get that text from work that things are going sideways and boom, your mind's already off in the wrong place. Or maybe you're doing good and then somebody just says something or something happens that sets you off. Hey, Satan's good at trying to take you off track, isn't he? I find that when I want to do good, evil's there with me. For I delight, verse 22, in the law of God after the inward man. That's that new nature that loves God and loves His Word and loves to sing and love to pray and all that. But I see another law in my members. That's the body. In these fleshly members, my eyes, my ears, my mouth, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am. Listen, I've got there sometimes. Dang it, man. Why can't I get this right? I'm so bad. I screwed up so much. Well, Paul felt the same way too, didn't he? O wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me from the body of this death? Verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He will deliver us from that. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Again, I don't need a notation to tell me what's here or what's not. I can read it pretty clear in Romans 8 and 1. It says that if I am in Christ Jesus and walking after the Spirit, I do not face condemnation. Beloved, we have a choice to make. We know the battle that Paul is facing because we have that battle too. The new nature versus the old nature. And then Paul begins to tell us, look, in this battle... We can choose who is the winner. We can choose who has the upper hand, and it's by who we follow. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Now listen to what he says. We're going to read just a couple more verses in Romans 8. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. We've been set free from the chains of sin, from the bondage that we were in to sin. You don't have to sin anymore. You understand that, right? You've been set free. You've been forgiven. When you do sin, you have the way to be forgiven. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law may be fulfilled in us who walk, live, pattern their lives, not after the flesh, But after the Spirit, you don't have to do everything your body tells you to do. You understand that? Every lust that you might have, every desire, whether it's to say something or to look at something or to hear something or to act in a certain way that your fleshly nature tells you to do, you do not have to do that because you have been set free from that. Christ has saved you from that. We are set free from sin and death. So why follow after it? Well, I guess this is what I'm supposed to do, or this is what I want to do. No, you don't have to do that. We don't walk or live after the flesh. We live after the Spirit. Remember we talked about that this morning? The Spirit of God who reveals unto us the things of God, who leads us in the things of God, who teaches us the things of God, who communicates, as we'll see, with our spirit just here in a moment. We follow God, not ourselves. And so our life and our actions should show that we're following God, not ourselves. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. We ought to live after the Spirit, brethren. We ought to follow the Holy Spirit, His Word, the love of God and the grace of God as it, it draws us closer to Him, not your sinful flesh and every stinking thing that you want to do when you feel like you want to do it. Paul says in Galatians that if we live after the Spirit, we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh, and that if we live after the Spirit, we should walk after it. Look in verse 12 of Romans 8. Brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify or put to death the deeds of the body, you shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God They are the sons of God. It goes on to say some amazing things we don't have time for. But do you see, yes, there is a battle. There is two sides. There is the Spirit, the new nature, the Holy Spirit that leads us, or flesh and sin and things that lead away from God. It's a matter of control. It's a matter of who you choose and who you follow. Do you notice it said, put to death the deeds of the body? Do you do that in your life? You feel anger come up. Do you put it to death and say, Lord, take that away from me? Or whether it's lust or or bitterness or whatever it may be, you know those things that can creep into your mind. Do you put that to death? Put it down? Why? Because you have control over that. Your emotions do not have to control you. Your lusts and your desires do not have to control you. You can allow those or you can allow the Holy Spirit to control and to guide you. The problem is we choose one or the other. This internal struggle that we can either get our thoughts and our emotions and our actions in line with the Word of God so they're pleasing and honoring to Him or not. Colossians 3, mortify your members which are on the earth. Put to death those things within you. 1 Corinthians nine twenty-seven: I keep under my body and I bring it into subjection. Paul says I have to... Exercise self-control to keep myself in line with God. If you don't, if we are not aware of this, this internal battle, this pull of the world, the pull of the spirit, you open your door, you open yourself up to problems. Quickest way to get away from God is just not to care. Just live life, coast through it. The flesh is sneaky. Satan is sneaky. It's not always in your face. Like, hey, make this choice. You're going to wreck your life. Sometimes it can be. But usually it's not like that, is it? No. It's usually bit by bit. A little here, little there. And quite frankly, though we might think it's not that big a deal or I can see it coming, it's usually not that hard to fall away. It's pretty easy to fall away from God. Usually we'll start with something good that gets out of place. We're all busy. We all got lives that are packed full, right? You can be too busy for God, can't you? Claiming all the time that all you have and all that you are busy about is a blessing from God, but yet not giving Him time in it. You think that brings you closer to God? No. What about the... One that's easy to pick on, our job. We have jobs, we work hard at them, praise God. And that is a gift from God. But those can get out of focus, can't they? To where like, all I'm worried about is my job and I'm making, making choices in direct relation to that and keeping that and protecting that. And we can begin to make that our, our identity. Like this is what my life is all about, my job, because I've got to get money to have stuff. And listen, we all can fall into that. But what's that do? That takes God out of place, doesn't it? You begin to worship your job. Your job is your idol. The money and the stuff it buys is your idol. You think that praises God? No. You think that's following the Spirit of God? No. No, it's not some down and dirty sin that may seem that way to our eyes, but it is idolatry and pride, which is just about the worst. Satan can be sneaky like that. The flesh can be sneaky like that to work things in. And even though it might be something good, we can put that out of place. And rather than being in subordination to him and following him and seeking his will in all things, we've set him off to the side and we follow our own desires and our own paths. And Satan will use those things to distract us, to fill our time and our mind and our heart rather than spiritual things. Beloved, we have a choice. You have a choice to follow God or not to. When we follow... uh, Well, let me back up. When we allow other things to fill our time, to fill our mind, to fill our heart, to capture our attention, who do you think gets stronger? Does our spiritual man get stronger when we don't read the Bible? When we do not pray, when we do not meditate on the goodness of God, when we do not seek to spread the gospel to those around us. No, our spiritual man is not strengthened like that, it's weakened. Now, listen, we all fall into it, right? But we have to make the choice. To keep ourselves close to and following God. Because if we do not, our spiritual man grows weaker and our flesh grows stronger and therefore has more influence over our heart, our mind, our thoughts, our actions, our speech. That part of us can control our life rather than the spiritual part that's made in the image of God that is born again, that seeks to follow Him the other part gets weaker. And so we find ourselves wavering where we did not before. You find yourself thinking twice about coming to church, there's a problem. You find yourself thinking twice about reading the Bible and you call it boring and you'd rather sit and look at filth on a cell phone, there's a problem. You have a problem given... You find yourself thinking twice or have a problem given to the church, whether it's your time, your money, your finances, your energy, there's a problem. If If you find yourself... <clears throat> thinking twice about witnessing if you find yourself you having a sour attitude with church and things in general and you feel like you're drifting there's a problem and maybe it's your own heart maybe it's my own heart that I'm following my flesh too much and I'm choosing the wrong things rather than staying at the foot of the cross at the, at the, the feet of God with His word open and praying Spirit lead me Show me what I need to do. Keep me close to you. You're trying to go through life serving two masters, serving yourself and God. Remember what Jesus says. You cannot do that because ultimately you're going to choose one and hate the other. And beloved, if we're not spiritually minded, we'll choose ourselves and we'll end up hating God. There are too many people I know that used to sit in a church pew and used to give devotions or maybe they sang or whatever they did. And they now hate God and His Word. They despise it. Why? They chose the flesh. They followed the flesh more than they did the Spirit. Lived a double life and it didn't end well. Beloved, choose Him. Choose to follow Him. Choose to follow the Spirit. Unless we think it's not that big of a deal, James says at the end of that verse, let me just read it to you. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And that means not having a permanent place. Not being set down somewhere permanently and steadfastly. May we not live double lives. May we not have double souls as it would. May we be singly and fully committed to Him. The double-minded man is unstable. Of course trials are going to turn him upside down. Anything's going to turn him upside down because he's got one foot in and one foot out. Not following him fully. Living two lives. The church life and then real life. Serving each when it's convenient. Beloved, that will not work. And most often why, the, why our faith wavers, why we find ourselves tossed around or in turmoil is because we're not serving who we should be in our hearts. And we're living a double life. We haven't gotten control of our flesh and it's got too strong a hold over us. It's not that we stop believing. Someone like this doesn't stop believing, no. They just find themselves most of the time not thinking about God. Not caring about Him, just kind of living life. Church come church time comes, we bounce over here, play the game, and maybe it lasts for a couple days, but we're quickly back to the other life, drifting away from God bit by bit. We stop reading the Bible, we don't care. We stop praying, doesn't bother it all that much. We stop witnessing farther and farther. Beloved, listen, you keep going down that road, you'll find yourself out of church and not giving a rip about it. And it wasn't some event that flipped the switch. It was little by little by little by little. No one starts out that way, but they find themselves there a little at a time, one battle at a time until the war is lost. It's best to get a hold on that now. The battle comes, pray. Keep yourself in the Word of God. Read the Gospels over and over. Read the Psalms over and over. Let the Word of God be in you so when these things come, you'll know what Jesus said. You'll know how others relied on God. David at times was able to stand up strong and sometimes he says, Lord, I'm just holding on. I need you to shelter me with your wings. I find myself there sometimes, whether it's a temptation or it's an evil thought or an evil word or whatever it is. We all know the battles we can face, right? In those times, flee to Him. Find refuge in Him. Stay close to Him. And beloved, when everything's going good and your schedule's packed and you've got this to do and that to do and you've got to go 100 miles an hour till bedtime, keep your mind on Him. You know, we're busy. We do a lot, just like all of you. We travel a lot. We've got a lot of commute time. And you know what we found ourselves doing? By the grace of God, lately, is using that car time to read a proverb and then talk about it. One proverb a day, 31 days in a month, right? I think it was Brother Bob. used to say that all the time, right? We're using that time rather than being on a cell phone and looking at stupid stuff or playing stupid games. In the busyness of life, right there in the middle of it, we can take time and, okay, Lord, we got this time. We're going to give it to you. Rather than being consumed with what I've got to do after the day or what bills we got to pay or what errands we got to run, there's ways that we can do that. And if we're not vigilant, to keep ourselves following the Spirit and to keep God the center of our lives, we're going to find ourselves falling away, being too-souled, too-minded, double-minded. How about we stop with that? How about we stop with the double mind and we get right before Him? We refocus ourselves. Maybe you find yourself detached or distracted and your mind and your heart are consumed with other things and God has fallen way down on the list. And we don't want to admit it, but maybe it's the truth. Is God where He should be in your life? If He's not, we need to repent. We need to ask for forgiveness. Maybe you find yourself reacting in a fleshly manner or with fleshly thoughts rather than how He would have us to. or We just find ourselves kind of shaken up in life. We have trouble making up our mind who to follow and to give your life to. Let me help you. Follow Him. Walk after the Spirit. Follow the leading of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. Remember the joy of your salvation and turn to Him. And you'll find stability. You'll find answered prayers. And you will find peace. The double life will not bring that. So if that's you this morning, if that's me, How about we stop living that double life? Stop with the double mind and the wavering faith. Make the decision to follow Him. Choose the winner this morning to follow the Spirit. You decide the battle within your own heart. Choose God. Come to Him and ask in faith for Him to restore you and strengthen you. Beloved, He will. He hears those prayers. If you don't know Him as Savior, He will hear your prayer too. But we have to come to Him. We have to choose Him. I pray the Lord would give me a single mind for Him. That there is one thing that defines me. It's following Him. That will be by the grace of God. That will be by me choosing Him. But that's what I want. I don't want to have a double life. I don't want to be double-minded. What about you? Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would take these words this morning, help us to be single-minded in our service to you, that you would give us hearts that are turned towards you, and when there are things that would draw us away, we would come back to you. Help us in the battles that we all face before uh, the flesh and the spirit, Lord, that you would help us to choose you and to follow you. And I pray even if there's one here that does does not know you as Savior, that they would cry out to you before it's eternally too late. Use these words as only you can by your Spirit. Move among us now. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.